Hello, welcome to the reading of the Sioux City Journal for Thursday, December 21st. I'm Dagna, your reader today. We'll begin with today's mini editorial, which is written by Richard Roth of Sioux City. And Richard writes, This morning, I saw an ad for Trump. He used Kim Reynolds' video from 2020 endorsing him. He also used Reynolds' video endorsement of DeSantis, but cut out the DeSantis part, making it look like she is endorsing Trump. Trump is good at this kind of deceit. It is the kind of deceit we will get if he is elected. Again, this is written by Richard Roth of Sioux City. Uh, now we'll have the five-day forecast for the Siouxland area, and this is going to include Christmas Day. So today will be mostly cloudy and it will be mild with a high of 46 and a low of 35. Friday will be mild with some sun with high of 47 and a low of 29. Saturday will be mostly cloudy and it will still be mild with a high of 52 and a low of 46. And Sunday there could be some rain with a high of 51 and a low of 32. And then it is going to get colder on Monday, Christmas Day, um, and you'll have maybe a touch of rain with a high of 38 and a low of 28. Our front page story is written by um, Dolly Butts of the Sioux City Journal, and it has a headline of Tyson Events Center Marks 20th Anniversary. Emily Vondrack described attending her first concert at age 13 as an amazing experience. For her birthday, Vondrack's parents gifted her tickets to Taylor Swift's June 29, 2008 concert at Sioux City's Tyson Events Center. Swift, then 18, got an overwhelming reception from the largely teen crowd. The show was one of her first as a headliner. At the time, her guitarist was from Sioux City. So I think it was this kind of unique feeling that you were seeing this rising superstar on the stage along with someone who was from right here in the community, says Von Drack, who now serves as the Tyson's Director of Marketing. Over the past 20 years, the 10,000-seat city-owned venue has brought other big-name performers in addition to Swift to town. Cher, Aerosmith, Elton John, and Carrie Underwood have been among the performers. The first event to be held at the 19th 190,000 square foot multi-purpose facility was a Sioux City Musketeers hockey match on December 17, 2003. OVG 360, which took over booking, marketing, staffing, and food and beverage service at the Tyson in 2018, plans to mark the two decades milestone in January. I think what stands out to me is 20 years ago, the city of Sioux City decided to make investments into sports and entertainment offerings that they had not had. And 20 years later, we can look back at all the great concerts we have, said OVG's 360's Nick Palamiato, who took the reins as a Tyson Events Center and Orpheum Theater's general manager in March. By the late 1990s, replacing the dilapidated 4,600-seat 40, municipal auditorium, now known as the Long Lines Rec Center, with a larger arena, had gained momentum. However, at that time, local elected officials were firmly against property taxpayers footing the bill. The big breakthrough came in 2000 when then-Governor Tom Vilsack signed legislation that established a new state infrastructure program called Vision Iowa. By borrowing against future state gambling revenues, the state created a $300 million fund to help communities build big-ticket culture 
and entertainment attractions that would drive more tourism. The late Marvin Berenstein, a prominent Sioux City attorney and member of the inaugural Vision Iowa Board, played a major role in securing the $21 million grant the Vision Iowa Board awarded. In the United States, which had already... Oh, I think something happened with the um, article. Just a, just a moment. I'm going to start that paragraph over again. The Somehow or another, the paper got two articles mixed up. So we're talking about the Tyson Event Center. The late Marvin Bernstein, a prominent Sioux City attorney and member of the inaugural Vision Iowa Board, played a major role in securing the $21 million grant the Vision Iowa Board awarded in May 2001 for Sioux City's $70 million River's Edge project. The River Edge was comprised of the $52 million Tyson Event Center, $11 million Grand Transportation Center downtown, and the $3.5 million Lewis and Clark Interpretive Center along the Missouri River. The Vision Iowa Board grant was contingent on local officials coming up with an additional $8 million within 90 days. The first $1 million came from the then Argosy Sioux City Riverboat Casino revenues. Within a matter of days, all of the remaining dollars were secured, most from local business owners. The largest pledge, $4 million in naming rights, was made by then-IBP Inc. CEO and Chairman Bob Peterson. Over a glass of scotch at Peterson's home, Berenstein sealed the deal with his longtime client and friend. The event center was named for Tyson Foods, which acquired Dakota Dunes-based IBP in 2001. All told, private donors picked up more than $12 million of the event center costs. Businesses and individuals leased luxury seats for up to 10 years. Construction on the metal and tinted green glass state-of-the-art arena began in 2002. As the opening of the Tyson in late 2003 approached, the venue immediately began attracting big names, including Josh Groban and Bare Naked Ladies. The latter stands out to local concert promoter David Bernstein, as being among the best shows he has seen at the Tyson, which features a horseshoe-shaped seating bowl with an end-court upper balcony and 28 luxury seats, suites. Bare Naked Ladies might have been the first rock show there. I really enjoyed that. Elton John was great, of course, says Bernstein, who noted there's a lot of other events that happen in the arena besides concerts, such as the NAIA Women's Basketball National Championship, Disney on Ice, or the Sioux City Symphony performing Star Wars. I think sometimes we focus too much on the concert events and forget about the other stuff. Bernstein thinks he said he thinks the Tyson is a good building for its size, but at some point, he said, he thinks adding another couple thousand seats could be beneficial, as well as upgrading club and concession offerings. In October, a new sound system was unveiled at the Tyson. The sound equipment replaces the previous system, which dates back to the arena's opening. Paul Menotti described the new sound system, which features speaker cabinets, from L Acoustics as top of the line. The installation of the new sound system occurred roughly four years after a new video board and ribbon panels were added to the city-owned arena. The new video board, which is 26 feet tall by 44 feet wide, offers more flexibility than the previous one, which had a static imagery around a screen with subpar resolution. The ribbon panels, which are 200 feet long and 3 feet tall, stretch around the east and west sides of the arena's mezzanine. 
Another panel on the south end is 25 feet wide by 3 feet tall. I think that we've made some significant investments and continue to make significant investments in the facility to make sure we are competitive with our regional competitors, such as the new sound system we just finalized. We've been working on a lot of building infrastructure projects to make sure that we're up to current guidelines on our behind-the-scenes HVAC stuff, which is all important when we're searching out events to come here. Just over the last couple of years, we've got a new video board and we've got new ribbon boards. We continue to make and the city continues to support big investments in the facility to make sure that we stay competitive among the region on attracting big events to come here. So I think the future is bright. Von Dreck says she thinks the diversity of content being brought into the building positions the Tyson for success going forward. In the past year, we've had a big cheerleading competition that this kind of venue is the perfect size for, she said. Everything from Disney on Ice to a Journey concert. You just look at the variety of entertainment and things that we'll be able to bring in. I think that's something that positions us for success moving forward as well. Our next story um, is written by Caitlin Yamada of the Sioux City Journal, and the headline is Law Enforcement Center Authority Approves Additional Baker Group Employee. The Woodbury County Law Enforcement Center Authority has agreed to pay for a new Baker Group employee to deal with records requests. The authority approved a line item titled Baker Group's Time and Material Costs for Legal Representation at $75 per hour. Shane Albrecht of the Baker Group said there are two attorneys working with the LEC Authority and the Woodbury County Board of Supervisors, and there are multiple documentation requests occurring with a large number of records that need to be given over. It's too much to still do our job and do that, Albrecht said. Jody McDougall of Fredrickson, Bryan, PA, and John Templer, Jr. of Whitfield and Eddie Law represent the LEC Authority and the Board of Supervisors supervisors respectively represent the county in issues related to the construction of the facility. Albrecht proposed that the local Baker Group office would have a couple of administrators that would be in charge of finding and organizing that documentations for requests at $75 an hour. It's less expensive than having Jody's team do that with a bunch of garbled information that comes from me, Albrecht said. The authority also received an update on the project. On Tuesday, a large group tour the to the facility, including on the authority's attorney, the Board of Supervisors attorney, Goldberg, Goldberg Group Architects attorney, Hausman Constructions attorney, Woodbury County attorney, Board of Supervisors chair Matthew Ung, Building S Services director Kenny Schmitz, and more. Punch list issues and corrective work is ongoing throughout the entire facility, Albrecht said. All of the missing fire dampers have been installed. No indication has been given on when the facility will be completed. And our next article is written by Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal and is headlined, Representative Randy Feenstra announces 2024 re-election bid. Randy Feenstra is running again. Thursday, the two-term representative of Iowa's 4th District announced his re-election bid for the U.S. House. 
I ran for Congress to deliver conservative results for our families, farmers, Main Street businesses, and rural communities. I look forward to earning the vote of every Iowan and defeating Joe Biden, the Hull Iowa native said in a post to Facebook. In his runs in 2020 and 2022, Feenstra, a former state senator, won by double digits. He defeated Iowa House District 1 Representative J.D. Scholten of Sioux City in the first campaign and Nevada Iowa Insurance Manager Ryan Melton in the second timeout. Between the two races, the margin grew. As of now, Feenstra's only declared competition for 2024 is Melton, who has pushed for universal health care, lower affordable child care, and greater public school funding. With the 2024 Iowa Republican caucuses looming, Feenstra's taken on something of a host role over the past year. Just this year, the former Sioux County Treasurer has um, played host or appeared at campaign stops with GOP candidates Ryan Binkley, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and Vivek Ramaswamy. Not long after his announcement, Feenstra also posted a list of endorsements which included Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley, U.S. Senator Joni Ernst, U.S. Representative Ashley Hinson, U.S. Representative Marinette Miller-Meeks, U.S. Representative Zach Nunn, Lieutenant Governor Adam Gregg, Iowa Secretary of Agriculture Mike Negg, Iowa State Treasurer Robbie Smith, Iowa Secretary of State Paul Pate, and Iowa Attorney Brenna Byrd. Omaha man charged with the vehicular homicide. A 35-year-old Omaha, Nebraska man is facing a vehicular homicide charge in connection with a February rollover crash near Salix that killed a woman. Curtis J. Cotton was arrested Tuesday and booked into the Woodbury County Jail on charges of vehicular homicide, a Class B felony, and operating while intoxicated, second offense, an aggravated misdemeanor. The single vehicle crash occurred around 4 p.m. February 21st on Interstate 29 southbound near mile marker 132. Ashley Bond, Cotton's girlfriend, was ejected from the vehicle and died from her injuries. According to a criminal complaint filed in Woodbury County District Court, Nicholas Bowerly, an Iowa Department of Transportation officer, responded to a silver Oldsmobile Alero on its top in the West Ditch. He observed Cotton moving around the scene of the crash and Bond lying on the ground north of the car. The complaint stated that Cotton was begging Bowerly to help Bond. Bowerly and others began trying to treat Ashley. While doing that, the defendant kneeled beside him. Barley could smell alcohol on his breath. He also noted that the defendant's eyes were bloodshot and watery, the complaint stated. Kyle Clever, Cleveringa, a sergeant with the Woodbury County Sheriff's Office, spoke with Cotton at Mercy One Siouxland Medical Center and noticed that he had bloodshot, watery eyes, according to the complaint. Cotton told Cleveringa, that he and Bond had come from Omaha to the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino Sioux City, where they played slots for five to six hours. When asked if he had anything to drink at the Hard Rock Casino, the defendant said he had one shot of Rumpelmann's two to three hours prior to the accident. When asked if Ashley had been drinking, the defendant said that she was also drinking. When Cleveringa asked Cotton who was driving, he was adamant that Ashley was the driver, according to the complaint. Investigators reviewed video of the crash from a semi-driver's dash cam. As they were passing the truck driver's semi, you can see a Caucasian hand in the passenger side window moving, thus indicating that the decedent victim was the passenger and not the driver, the complaint stated. Witnesses allegedly observed Cotton driving recklessly and at a high rate of speed before the crash. A technical investigation revealed that Cotton was drinking an average of 
I was driving an average of 84 miles per hour and that the car was going approximately 70 miles per hour at the time he lost control of the vehicle and left the roadway. Cotton's blood alcohol concentration level was 0.124%, according to the complaint. Iowa's legal limit is 0.08%. The complaint stated that Cotton also had marijuana in his system. Cotton was previously convicted of operating while intoxicated. First offense in Monona County District Court on November 9, 2021. Man found guilty of federal child porn charges. A federal jury has found a Sioux City man guilty of child pornography charges. Anthony Tucker, 36, was convicted Tuesday in U.S. District Court in Sioux City of receipt of child pornography and possession of child pornography. Jurors heard one day of witness testimony and deliberated for more than three hours before reaching their verdict. Sentencing will be scheduled at a later date. Because of a prior conviction for lascivious acts with a child, Tucker faces a mandatory minimum sentence of 15 years in prison and a maximum of 40 years. According to the U.S. Attorney's Office, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children received a tip in January 2022 from Google that accounts belonging to Tucker contained more than 90 images and three videos of child sexual abuse material. Our next story, Manager Charged with Stealing Meat from Tyson, Storm Lake. A warehouse manager at the Tyson Foods pork plant in Storm Lake has been charged with stealing more than $48,000 of truck equipment and meat from the company and reselling it for personal profit. Michael Masters, 65, of Albert City, Iowa, was arrested Monday and booked into the Buena Vista County Jail on two counts of first-degree theft and two counts of second-degree theft. He posted 10% of a $5,000 bond and was released from custody. According to court documents, Master was a warehouse manager at the Tyson plant at 1009 Richland Drive on December 5, 2022, when he directed another employee under his supervision to take five truck refrigeration refrigerator units valued at approximately $20,000 off the Tyson property. Master <clears throat> later sold them for his own benefit. Masters also is accused of having the, an employee take three Tyson semi-box trailers valued at $18,130 from the property between June 1st and June 28th, 2022, and two more valued at $8,272 on December 7th, 2022, and sold them privately for profit. Between May 4th and May 16th, Masters took approximately 24 boxes of meat valued at $2,000. $166 from the plant, court documents said. A Hartley, uh, Iowa couple has been arrested and charged with child neglect for allegedly smoking marijuana around their three-year-old son. Jonathan Peters, 26, and Victoria Barnes, 25, both were booked into the O'Brien County Jail Monday on a felony charge of neglect or abandonment of a dependent person and misdemeanor child endangerment. According to court documents, an Iowa Department of Human Services caseworker removed the boy from the Hartley home on November 8th after receiving allegations of the use of illegal substances by Peters and Barnes. On November 17th, the caseworker notified authorities the boy's hair tested positive for the presence of marijuana. During interviews with investigators, Barnes admitted smoking marijuana a few times a week at a friend's house, but not around her son. Peter said he usually smoked marijuana in the garage and sometimes in the house while on a different floor from his son. 
The two who, who told the DHS worker they smoked marijuana daily said they believed their son tested positive because of their interactions such as hugging and kissing him right after smoking, court documents said. Sioux City announces free downtown ramp holiday parking. Four city ramps, Discovery, Heritage, MLK, and Rivers Landing will be free to use for the holidays. The free ramp parking begins at 5 p.m. Friday and ends at 5 a.m. December 26th. Visitors to the ramps will also enjoy free parking from 5 p.m. December 29th until 5 a.m. January 2nd. In addition, Discovery Ramp will be free to use from 5 p.m. Friday through 5 a.m. January 2nd. The downtown Sioux City parking ramp locations are Discovery Parking Ramp is at 419 Jones, Heritage Parking Ramp is at 312 Jackson, Martin Luther King Jr. Ground Transportation Center is at 5th and Nebraska Streets, and Rivers Landing Parking Ramp is at 419 Douglas Street. Additional information can be found at SiouxCity.org slash parking. Questions may be directed to Parking and Meter Operations Supervisor Tiffany Claiborne at 712-279-6381. Sioux City is seeking proposals for residential lots. The City of Sioux City is soliciting proposals from developers interested in acquiring city-owned lots in Morningside and constructing housing units on them. The City said in a statement that the lots are located at uh, 4001 Glen Avenue, 2500 South St. Auburn Street, and 423 to 425 South Ruston Street. All qualified developers are invited to submit proposals for the construction of new homes on these sites. Proposals are due by 4 p.m. on January 31st. All design and construction must comply with local codes and ordinances. The selected entity will be responsible for breaking ground no later than October 1, 2024. The project must be economical, attractive, durable, sustainable, and visually compatible with the neighborhood. The vision for development at this site includes a design that must accommodate a modern development with off-street parking and green space, the statement said. The city will negotiate the project completion date with the selected entity. The RFP can be found at SiouxCity.org slash lots available or by contacting Jill Watershed, Neighborhood Services Manager at 712-224-5136. One-of-a-kind car museum debut. The Lamar's Art Center will host That's Amore, a Valentine's Day red carpet fundraising event celebrating 50 years of the Art Center, while featuring the debut of a new one-of-a-kind car museum from 6 to 10 p.m. February 10, 2024. The event will take place at the garage at 800 Prospect Street Southwest, which features a collection of classic automobiles, vintage gas and oil autom and automotive signs and other memorabilia. The garage at 800 is owned by Mike and Cheryl Wells, who say the space can be used as a venue for corporate events and other special occasions. Mike Wells said, I love cars and I love Lamar's. He added the, that the mu car museum will recreate downtown Lamar's in the 1950s, including a Chevy dealership, standard gas station, the Royal Movie Theater, and more. The That's Amore part of the program will feature live music, dancing, and authentic Italian cuisine by Steve Paparero and restaurant owner Joe Seitzman. 
Vasamori will also feature a live auction with proceeds going towards supporting the Lamar's Art Center and its programs. For more information about the Lamar's Art Center, go to uh, lamarsart.com. Ticket information on Vasamori can be found at eventbrite.com. Um, we now have the devotional article from um, Kathy Yolder, who is a devotional writer and can be reached at kathyyolder4 at gmail.com. And she writes this t today, beginning with Isaiah forty-three nineteen. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. One thing I've learned over the years is that no matter how organized we are, no matter how much we plan out our lives, even perhaps making a checklist just like children do for Santa Claus, no matter how much we enjoy our routines, change is inevitable, and more often than not, it is unexpected. I have been going through some changes. Some of them are challenging, like when I can't remember someone's name. It's as if the world really is flat and the person's name rolls to the edge, falls over, and is never seen or heard from again. Or when I'm talking to someone and something I was going to say just leaps out of my head and makes a nosedive into the black hole. We know there's no coming back from that bottomless place. It ends up with all those missing shoes and socks. You know the ones. Every so often I see one shoe dangling from a power line and I naturally wonder, where is the other one? Will the other shoe drop, or is it in a black hole with all those socks that disappear from the clothes dryer, thoughtlessly leaving their mates behind? Change can also bring unexpected blessings at Christmas and other times, too, especially when the Lord is right in the middle of that change. No one knows that better than someone who lived, who is living in a dark world without hope. Then suddenly, everything changes because they see the light of Jesus and they embrace him with every ounce of their being. They surrender their life completely to him and they are forever changed. I've seen it many times. They go from living in darkness to living in our Savior's trans transforming light. Those who hate now find love. Those who are bitter now find forgiveness for others and for themselves. Those who are blind now see God's truth and seek to please him. Those who are jealous are now genuinely happy when things happen to others. Good things happen to others. When Jesus came to earth, he didn't come to condemn us. No, he came to save us from our sins. And he didn't stop there. He came to be with us, Emmanuel. He came to lead us and guide us through his own example and through his word. What better change could there possibly be? What better motiv motivation for change than to follow the creator of the universe? My life has changed recently in many good ways. I have a friend, Lyle. We've been in the same Sunday morning Bible class for seven years. A couple of years ago, he was scheduled for surgery. I offered to give him a ride. He ended up with infection, more surgery, and could not drive for a while. I happily drove him to physical therapy, doctor's appointments, and the grocery store. Later, when I had surgery, he did the same for me. I could not drive for a while after my surgery, so Lyle gave me rides to my appointments, to the grocery store, and to church. Somewhere during that time, he started sitting with me in church. He also called me some nights. Then it became every night. I looked forward to those calls more than I wanted to admit. And somewhere during this time, we came, became best friends. Then a couple of months ago, we were talking on the phone. I was checking our status with him. I asked if he still saw me as his best friend. He said he did, but he added that he thought it should be more, more, as in get married. I agreed, and that's what we decided. But we had to 
uh, Mary and wait until after the harvest was over. It's not possible to put an exact date on the end of the harvest, so we waited. After the harvest, after the hard work of preparing the soil, planting the seed, praying for both sunshine and rain, watching the crops grow, and now it was time to harvest the crops. And so it is with Lyle and me. The soil of our friendship was prepared by reading the Bible individually over many years of our lives. Seeds of friendship were planted in the Bible class we attend together and in worshiping together at our church. Watering that friendship happened when we both needed each other's help. And as we helped one another, our friendship deepened. Now it's harvest time because our friendship has grown into love. On a Monday morning in early December, Lyle and I were married. My son Ethan was there along with my friend Janelle. Our beloved pastor performed the ceremony. It was simple. It was meaningful. It was filled with friendship and with love. And the most importantly of all, the Lord was with us as he always has been with us individually, as he is with us now in this new season of our lives together. I did not foresee this Christmas being filled with unexpected blessings, but I should not be surprised. After all, Jesus humbled himself to come to earth in the form of a helpless baby. He is the light in this dark and weary world. He is our Savior. He makes a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He can do anything. Ask him today to be your unexpected Christmas blessing. You will never regret it. Again, this was written by... Uh, Kathy Yoder, uh, who is a devotional writer. And now we'll go for a few of the local churches in the time of their Christmas Eve services. Redeemer Lutheran Church at 3204 South Lakeport invites the public to join in celebrating Christmas Eve services held at 8.15 and 10.45 a.m. on December 24th and also on December 24th, 4 p.m., 7 p.m., and 11 p.m. candlelight services. Christmas Day will have worship at 9 a.m. with Holy Communion. St. Mark Lutheran Church ELCA, 5200 Glen Avenue, will hold Christmas Eve worship service at 9 a.m., 3 p.m., and 5 p.m. on Sunday, December 24th. Grace United Methodist Church in Sioux City will observe Christmas Eve during the 10 a.m. worship service and at a traditional candlelight service of carols and scriptures at 7 p.m. Faith United Presbyterian Church at 4237 Morningside Avenue will hold its 10.30 a.m. worship service on Sunday, 20, December 24th. The Bell Choir will present What Child Is This? At 5.30 p.m. on Sunday, December 24th, Faith United Presbyterian Church will hold a candlelight Christmas Eve service with Holy Communion and with the congregational singing of Silent Night. Community United Methodist Church at 101 Baker Street in Sergeant Bluff will, on Christmas Eve will have the usual 10.30 a.m. morning service and refreshments following. Then the evening service will be a beautiful remembrance and celebration of the Lord Jesus' birth. This service will be held at 7 p.m. concluding with the candlelight and singing of the silent night. Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Wakefield, Nebraska Country Church will host services on Christmas Eve, Sunday, December 24th at 7 p.m. and on Christmas Day, Monday, December 25th at 9.30 a.m. You are listening to the reading of the Sioux City Journal for two, uh, Thursday, December 21st on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. We'll now turn to today's obituaries, uh, beginning with Cynthia Marie Cass of Douglas, Wyoming. 
Funeral services for Cynthia Marie Cass, 65, were held at 2 p.m. Thursday, December 14th at the Gorman Funeral Homes at Converse Chapel with Pastor Bill Williamson of the First Baptist Church officiating. A reception followed immediately. Interment will be in the Holy Name Cemetery in Marcus, Iowa at a later date. Cynthia Cass died at the Memorial Hospital of Converse County in Douglas, Wyoming. She was born Wednesday, November 19, 1958, in Lamars, Iowa, the daughter of Thomas Herbert and Sharon Virginia Huser. She was raised and educated in Marcus. She moved to Wyoming in 2001 for a job opportunity. She worked for the Converse County Sheriff's Office from May 2004 to June 2007, and then for the Douglas Police Department from June 2007 to May 2017. Cynthia enjoyed horseback riding, training horses, dogs, crafts, and companion dogs. In lieu of flowers, memorials to Douglas Strong in care of Converse County Bank, P.O. Box 689, Douglas, Wyoming, would be appreciated by the family. The Gorman Family Homes, Converse Chapel of Douglas, Wyoming, is in, was in charge of the arrangement. Mark Allen Bailey, 58, of Colton, South Dakota, passed away on Monday, December 18th at his home, comforted by family after a long-term neurological disease. Funeral services will be at 10.30 a.m. Friday, December 22nd at the St. Joseph's Catholic Church in Ponca, Nebraska, with Father Owen Court officiating. Burial will follow at South Creek Calvary Cemetery in rural Ponca. Visitation with family present will be one hour prior to the service at the church Friday morning. Mark was born on August 8, 1965 in Sioux City to Richard and Georgine Gates Bailey. He married Therese Sullivan on March 4, 2000 at St. Joseph's Catholic Church in Ponca, Nebraska. Mark and Therese owned Stonegate Property Inspections from 2001 until 2019 when Mark's health started to decline. Some of Mark's favorite hobbies include camping in the mountains with Therese and his faithful dog, Abby, construction, building projects, reading, and spending time outdoors enjoying them. Elizabeth Betty Warren, 88, passed away December 14th. A visitation will be held 9 a.m. Friday, December 22nd at St. Jude Catholic Church in Cedar Rapids until time of Memorial Mass, 10 a.m. Interment will follow at the Mount Calvary Catholic Cemetery. Betty attended Vinton School for the Blind. She later worked for the Johnson County Welfare Office as a clerk and at McLeod as a proofreader. Memorials may be made to the Iowa Department for the Blind. Stephen James Gustin, 50, Fayetteville, Arkansas, passed away on Friday, December 15th in a Fayetteville, Arkansas, after a brief hospitalization. Steve was born on December 25, 1972, and grew up in Dakota City, Nebraska. He was the middle child and only son of Jim and Kathy Gustin. Steve was a true and de- dedicated friend, the life of every party, and loved motorcycling with his brothers. He had the biggest heart and would give the shirt off his back for someone in need, whether he was hosting his annual crawfish boil for family and friends, serving on the volunteer fire department, or donating Thanksgiving turkeys to Meals on Wheels. He cared deeply for those around him and made everyone feel like they mattered. Steve was a prankster and brought comic relief to just about every situation. He spoke his mind and would engage in lively conversation on almost any topic.
Steve married his high school classmate Nikki in 2012 and spent their time living in Sioux City and Dakota City before recently moving to Arkansas. Steve and Nikki enjoyed traveling together. Weekends in their camper with their dog Duchess and later Lizzie. Treks to Sturgis, cruises to the Caribbean, and a trip earlier this year to Hawaii. He loved Husker football, even when the team wasn't performing well. He, he'd comment on what needed fixing before declaring that he'd always bleed red, no matter what. Steve loved his family and spoke to his parents daily. He loved deeply and tried to protect those around him from hurt and harm until his dying day. We carry a hole in our hearts that Steve's life and energy once filled. The pain we feel is deep, and we can't imagine what life will be like without you. We will miss you every day, our husband, son, brother, dad, grandpa, uncle, cousin, and friend. A celebration of life will be planned at a later time. Memorial donations may be made to the Dakota City Fire Department, Post Office Box 46, Dakota City, Nebraska, 68731. Robert R. Hubregsty of Orange City, Iowa, and the last name is spelled H-U-I-B-R-E-G-T-S-E. Visitation and services will be held on June 14th, 2024 at First Reformed Church in Orange City. More details will be available later. Robert was a graduate of the University of Iowa and Drake Law School. His career included working as a private attorney, Sioux County attorney, assistant attorney general, area prosecutor, and supervisor of child support attorneys for the state of Iowa. Memorials encouraged and will be given to Prairie Ridge Care Center and First Reformed Church, both in Orange City. Nina M. Vondrak, Hinton, Iowa, 74, died thir- Tuesday, December 19th. A Mass of Christian Burial will be held at 10.30 a.m. Friday, December 22nd at St. Michael Catholic Church in Sioux City. Burial will follow at Calvary Cemetery. Visitation will be from 4 to 8 p.m. Thursday, December 21st from at the church. The family will be present at 6 p.m. Vigil service to be held at 7 p.m. And that uh, um, concludes the obituaries. We'll now move to a story called Holiday Spirits and um, about the Warrior Hotel's mixologist. Warrior Hotel food and beverage director Andrew Roberts is ready to flip the script when it comes to holiday cocktails. How is he going to do that? By introducing a line of flip cocktails on the menu at the 525 6th Street Hotel's Crown Rooftop Bar. A flip cocktail is drink which contains liquor that is sweetened with sugar and shaken with a whole egg. For one cocktail, Roberts combined brandy with the homemade syrup along with an egg into a shake which he shakes vigorously. Pouring it into a cocktail glass, he rims it with nutmeg for a drink that is as frothy as well as festive. Robert's new cocktail is made with rye whiskey, port wine, house-made syrup, freshly squeezed lemon juice, and just an egg white for a smooth and satisfying nightcap. I know people sometimes get weirded out by a drink containing a raw egg, Robert's allowed, but believe me, these cocktails are delicious. After all, the Warrior Hotel's master mixologist is an old pro when it comes to potent concoctions. 
A mainstay at the Warriors, the bar at Woodbury, since its opening in 2020, Roberts was recently promoted to a position where he oversees all food and drink operations. Woodbury's American Steakhouse, the hotel's two bars, and even the War Eagle Lane's bowling alley. Before moving to Sioux City, he worked in upscale bars in various cities in Texas as well as in Denver. I like working in hotel bars because you always have a mix of hotel guests from all around the world, as well as local guests who are looking forward to a fun night on the town, Robert said. With both types of clientele, he gets to put his own personal spin on some seasonal classics. The holiday season is unique in that we still are in the mood for fall flavors because we're not yet in the dead of winter, Robert said. On a mild December afternoon, he makes a variation of an old-fashioned with top-shelf bourbon, bitters, and a dollop of pumpkin butter before finishing it a toast, toasted cinnamon stick as an aromatic garnish. Since this is the Warrior Hotel, which has birds as a symbol, I call this our owl-fashioned instead of old-fashioned, owl-fashioned, Robert said with a smile. It was so popular in autumn that we wanted to continue it into December. Talking inside of the Warriors Art Deco-inspired bar, he's keenly aware of the hotel's historical significance. Originally built in 1930, the Warrior and the next-door Davidson building were both a part of a $73 million redevelopment project. In a setting like this, you're inspired to take the cocktails to the next level, Robert said. To some extent, that is because customers are demanding it. People are seeing uh, shows like Netflix's Drink Masters and know the art of the cocktail has been elevated, Roberts explained. We're not able to make competition-worthy drinks on a busy Friday night, but we are certainly willing to up our game. Indeed, Roberts considers himself a bit of a mad scientist behind the bar. Luckily, his crew is just as mad as he is. When we prep for the change of season, I work with my staff on new cocktail ideas, he said. In many ways, my staff is as creative as I am. So what can rooftop bar aficionados be on the look for, out for? Roberts is currently testing out recipes for a matcha-inspired cocktail containing the finely ground powder of matcha, which is a green tea favorite in Japan. Hum, a bright green cocktail. That sounds interesting. Wait, there's more. I'm also working on a blueberry pie cocktail, which tastes just like the real thing, Robert said. I've always liked the idea of a deep blue cocktail. I think the color, as well as the flavor, will set this cocktail apart. Robert said he is expecting a big increase in customers during both Christmas and New Year's. I don't mind working during the holidays, he said. Guests tend to be in a festive mood, and that makes everything fun. Will Roberts be making a furious number of flip cocktails or owl-fashioned drinks this month? I hope so, he said. Both are very festive, very delicious, and perfect for the holidays. We'll now move to the sports section, and um, the, now we're going to go to the journal Small School Football Players of the Year. And this is a Cole players this year, and they're from Central Lion George Little Rock. When Reese Vanderzee and Graham Eben talk about football, their voices take a different tone. Something about the sports makes the Central Lion George Little Rock senior duo reflective, somber, and deeply appreciative of the game. 
It's about brotherhood, Vanderzee said. I loved being able to go to practice every day with our guys and compete with them on Friday nights. That's probably the best thing I've taken away. That'll stick with me forever. And Eben said, what the game has done for me is just a blessing from God. It's just become part of who I am. It's only grown getting to be around Reese and our teammates that feel the same way about football. The game shows us who we are as people. The Journal's Small School Co-Players of the Year for the Small School All-Team Team, All-Area Team, have certainly proved themselves on the gridiron after leading the Lions to back-to-back Class 2A state championship games. The two were part of the CLGLR state champion in 2022. In 2023, the Lions came up just short in their effort to repeat, but did everything they could to take back the team back to the title game. I think each of them have grown differently throughout their high school careers, said head coach, football coach, Curtis Eben, Graham's father. Reese has made the biggest jump through his high school career, and that really showed from his sophomore year to junior year. Reese hit a nice growth spurt, and along with the weight room, he really matured into an amazing athlete. Graham has been the more traditional athlete that has steadily improved throughout his high school career. They have both had great leaders throughout their high school school career and that leadership showed this senior year for them both and they'll have plenty more football to play together as both are committed to the University of Iowa. Both signed their national letters of intent with the Hawkeyes on Wednesday. We had aspirations to do big things with their athletic abilities, Eben said. So when you surround yourself with like-minded people, it inspires you. Reese has inspired me to be my best. I feel like I've done the same thing for him. We tried to do things the right way and have tried to make a difference. Eben and Vanderzee were both recognized on the Class 2A All-State first team. It was Eben's third All-State nod, Vanderzee's second. While the team had to make up for the loss of several key players from the 2022 title winner, Vanderzee moved in with from wide receiver to quarterback, and the two formed a yin-yang combination in the Lions' backfield. The six foot five, two hundred pound Vanderzee is a lanky, smooth athlete that glides around the field. A multi sport athlete, he's also been an all state baseball and basketball player. I think being a multi sport athlete has been huge, Vanderzee said. I've learned a lot of different skills that apply to all sports. I actually did not think about playing college football until last year. I've always wanted to play college sports, just thought it'd be baseball or basketball. Eben, the son of the head coach, is, has grown up around the gridiron and gave the Lions a gritty, intense, high IQ two-way starter. Without our coaches and our teammates, Reese and I would not be in the position we are, said the six foot three, 198-pound Eben. In his first season as a signal caller, Vanderzee completed nearly 75% of his passes for over 1,200 yards with 14 touchdowns against four interceptions. He also rushed for nearly 1,800 yards and 191 carries with 24 scores. Vanderzee finished with the third best passer rating in the state of all classes with a mark of 158.3. It's just been a blessing, Vanderzee said. I'm so grateful for the opportunities I have been given. I just wanted to make the most of it and hope to do the same going forward. Eben Marsh notched 188 totes out of the backfield for over 1,400 yards and was tied for fourth of all classes with 31 rushing touchdowns. It's just been a one-step-at-a-time process, Eben said. It's been super exciting, something you get caught up in the moment and don't 
uh, step back to realize everything you've accomplished. Reese and I would be dying to be where we are now four years ago. On defense, the two formed one of the most formidable defense pack backfield in the state as both recorded over 40 tackles and combined for five, five interceptions. At Iowa, Fantasy is slated to move back out to wide receiver where he went for 32 receptions, 768 yards, and 10 touchdowns as a junior. Not many people get to go on to play at the next level with two teammates, Vandersee said. From us to get to experience that and hopefully get to be together on the field again will be so much fun. We have a lot of stuff at Central Lion that we try to do differently that sets us apart. We try to do the little things right every single day. Our coaches do a great job of instilling that in us. We want to win at everything we do and strive to do our best on and off the field. Eben will focus on the defensive side of the ball at the next level. After accumulating over 200 career tackles in the uh, CLGLR uniform, playing both linebacker and safety, Vanderzee recorded over 150 career tackles at cornerback and safety. On the all-district team in Class 2A, Vanderzee was the offensive MVP and Eben the special teams MVP as he took six kick returns, 111 yards, and 10 punt returns, 106 yards. My dad played college football and I always looked up to him and had that same goal, Eben said. He's always been very honest with me, even if it hurts a little, but it's all to help me. I have a great relationship with him and he's a huge reason I've been able to do what I've done. He made me believe in myself. A bond formed early in life certainly was a benefit to the Lions and showed no signs of slowing down. Reese and Graham have been friends since kindergarten, said Curtis Eben. I truly believe they brought the best out of all the kids in their grade. At a young age, they loved to compete against each other and their teammates, which pushed everyone to compete at a higher level. These seniors have spent a ton of time together, which helped develop the leadership within this class, so it was in transition for Reese and Graham to lead this class. We'll now move to Dear Abby on our first letter. How can I help my financially drowning 57-year-old daughter without being pulled under myself? I live comfortably now, but that could change in an instance with a stroke or a fall and the need for assisted living. My daughter has been employed throughout her adult life, but was recently part of a group layoff. She has failed to find another job in her field, and her benefits have run out. I don't blame her for the job loss, but I do think she could have been earning some money by working part-time. She didn't do that until the benefit well had run dry. I loaned her some money, but have made it clear that it will be short-lived. She hasn't asked for my opinion, but boy do I ever want to give it. She would have had a nice financial cushion had she not blown a $300,000 inheritance some years back. I feel guilty going out to lunch with friends or buying something unnecessary for the house when she's close to being homeless. My home is large enough for my daughter to live here, but I, but she has I don't know how many dogs. Am I awful for living my life while she flounders? Is there help for her? Signed, Mean Mom in Texas. And Abby responds, at 57, your daughter is an adult. She, not you, is responsible for the poor choices she has made, including blowing her inheritance and not immediately looking to add to her benefits before they ran out. You are not awful for living your life. Tell your daughter she may need to find a job that pays less than the one she lost. This is a fact of life for many people. And if she needs to move in with you, draw the line at how many dogs she can bring with you. 
and make the responsibility of finding safe homes for the rest of, of the dogs hers. Dear Abby, I left my husband of 17 years six months ago. He is a good man, loyal, funny, bright, and successful, but a complex person with a history of trauma who is hardwired to always see the negative. He's very rigid and critical, and he has a need to control everything. I love him, but I am not drawn to him physically or emotionally. We have done couples counseling numerous times. He desperately wants me back, so he's now doing everything in his power to dig deep and change. It kills me to see him in such emotional pain. We have young children who want us to reunite. Our families want us back together. He's making progress, but I still have no desire to be with him, and I haven't for a long time. Any wisdom would be greatly appreciated. Signed, Beyond Confused in Oregon. And the response, it's hard to say, but your husband could twist himself into a pretzel and it wouldn't change the fact that you are no longer attracted to him physically or emotionally. You may need some sessions with a licensed psychotherapist before you deliver the news because the time has come to be honest about with him about your feelings or lack of them so he can move on with his life and that does it for today's reading of the sioux city journal for thursday december 21st i'm dogner your reader today you can access a recording of today's reading on our website iowaradioreading.org at any time and thank you for listening People's Pharmacy Health Headlines. At high doses, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like diclofenac, ibuprofen, or naproxen may increase the risk of kidney problems. The study that revealed this used de-identified medical records of more than 750,000 active-duty U.S. Army soldiers. Consequently, these were active young and middle-aged adults. During the time of the study, from 2011 through 2014, nearly 18% of these soldiers got a prescription for one to seven doses of an NSAID pain reliever in a month. Another 16% were prescribed more than seven doses in a month. Fewer than 1% of these people were subsequently diagnosed with acute or chronic kidney disease. Nevertheless, the rate of kidney trouble was about 20% higher among people who had received high-dose NSAIDs than among those who had taken none. The authors described the increased risk as modest, but statistically significant. Another class of drugs that can lead to kidney injury is proton pump inhibitors. A data mining initiative of the FDA's Adverse Event Reporting System analyzed kidney-related side effects among 43,000 people who took a drug such as esomeprazole, lansoprazole, or omeprazole. Approximately 8,000 people taking a histamine 2 blocker such as ranitidine or famotidine served as controls since they take these drugs for similar symptoms.
The researchers found that 5.6% of people on PPIs alone had a kidney-related side effect, while only 0.7% of those on H2 blockers did. Chronic kidney disease was 28 times more likely, and acute kidney injury was four times more likely among people taking PPIs. While this analysis shows association, not causation, there are previous studies linking PPIs and kidney damage. There's growing concern about a mysterious infectious disease that has been spreading among the wild deer population for decades. Scientists call it CWD, or chronic wasting disease. Hunters refer to this condition as zombie deer disease. It can also affect elk and moose. The CDC reports that this infectious disease has spread to wildlife in 24 states and two Canadian provinces. CWD was first detected in Colorado among captive deer in the 1960s and in the wild deer population in the 1980s. It's now affecting deer in the Midwest, Southwest, and some parts of the East Coast. The disease appears to be caused by a prion infection reminiscent of mad cow disease. An infectious disease expert at the University of Minnesota has warned that hunters who eat contaminated deer meat may eventually develop the human equivalent of chronic wasting disease. Shoulder replacement surgery is becoming increasingly common. Now researchers writing in the BMJ say that patients should be warned that the risks are higher than originally thought. The investigators reviewed hospital and mortality records in the UK. When men between 50 and 59 have this type of shoulder surgery, one in four will need further surgery on that shoulder within five years. In addition, older people who underwent this kind of surgical procedure experienced high rates of serious adverse events. One in nine older women and one in five older men had an infection, major blood clot, heart attack or stroke, or died within three months. The authors of the study encouraged their colleagues to counsel patients about the risks as well as the benefits of this kind of surgery. Drug interactions are a serious hazard in hospitals and the community. If patients receive prescriptions for incompatible medications, they can experience severe side effects that may even be life-threatening. Electronic medical records are intended to warn prescribers and pharmacists about potentially dangerous interactions, but many do so indiscriminately. The result is something called alert fatigue. If clinicians receive too many warnings, they may not pay attention to the really important ones. A team at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital reviewed their alert system. They removed unnecessary alerts and provided additional information to the most important ones. After they finished, they tracked clinicians' reactions. Alert overrides dropped by 40%. One important change linked alerts to the patient's laboratory data, making them much more targeted. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. 